You're listening to the New Life Church Podcast, where we are passionate about helping you connect to your God-given purpose. To learn more about New Life Church, including our service times in Canton, Georgia, visit us online at newlifecanton.com. Well, happy Easter, everybody. I know we have been clapping all morning, but can we give the Lord Jesus Christ our risen Savior? Come on, let's praise him one more time. Hallelujah. He's alive. And because he lives, I live also. It's so wonderful to see all of you here this morning. If you had trouble in getting in, we apologize. It's a good problem. Amen. It's a good problem. I was hoping for 80 people in the 815 service. We had over 200. So, yeah. So that's why it was like... And, and then I probably preached too long. But anyway, besides that, um, no, we really appreciate you being here on this resurrection morning. I also want to extend an invitation to all of you who might be visiting on this Easter. Maybe you were invited by somebody, came with family. If you don't have a home church, why not give us a try? We may not be a fit for everybody, but I'm telling you, new life is, is an authentic expression of the body of Christ, full of some amazing people, not perfect people but amazing people who love Jesus, and we would love for you to come and be with us. I'd also like to thank those of you who are joining with us online, watching online, and thank God for online ministry, especially during the pandemic, amen? That was a wonderful thing, and we hope, though, that one day you'll be able to come and be with us in the room, because online is great, but there's nothing like being in the room. So New Life, can we one more time put our hands together for all of the guests that are joining us online or in the room today. We appreciate you being here. I appreciate you so much that I want to invite you to lunch with me and with Kathy, my wife, and our staff. It's on May the 1st after the 1115 service. It's free. Somebody say free. A free lunch. We'll take care of your kids. We'll feed them downstairs. And this is a chance for you to hear my heart, the vision of the church, the core values of the church, ask your questions, and just get to know. You can sign up for that lunch right outside these doors before you leave. We'd love to have you do that in a couple of weeks. Let's pray together, and then we're going to get right into the Easter message. Father, wow, thank you for your presence here. We sense your Holy Spirit, the manifest presence of your Spirit here this morning. This room is different right now, Lord. We know it. It's different because of your presence. And so right now, I pray that your Spirit would come and just move in our hearts, open our our minds and our soul, our spirit to your word. Let it become like rhema. Let it be a powerful right now word in due season. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. That wasn't everybody, but I'll let you go. I'll let you you pass on that one. So Luke 24 verse 1 says, But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb. Maybe it was a morning like this morning that was all foggy and they could barely see. I don't know. Taking the spices that they had prepared, they found that the stone had been rolled away. So they went in, (laughs) but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. It's Easter, y'all. It's Easter, and I'm so thankful. Now, you would think this sermon is, is, is definitely, you know, it's, here we go. We're going to have a sermon on the empty tomb because it's Easter. Well, yes and no. Of course, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is foundational to the Christian faith. Somebody say amen. Without the, the resurrection, we've got nothing. Why are we even gathered this morning, Right? The resurrection is everything. And the resurrection is not a metaphor. 
Don't let that garbage, don't swallow that lie from the enemy. It's not legend. It's not a fairy tale. The apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that over 500 people, that's, look, around, look around right now. There's a little over three probably in this room right now. Over 500 people saw Jesus with their own eyes alive after the crucifixion. It's a fact of history. We can stand on it. Jesus died on the cross. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. And three days later, he rose from the dead. And today he lives. Come on. Look at the screen. The resurrection is evidence that God the Father accepted Jesus' sacrifice for my sin and yours. So yes, Easter is most definitely about the empty tomb. But is that all? Is that it? Here's what I'm getting at. In Western Christianity, that's like Europe and Canada and the United States, I'm afraid that we've become familiar maybe even comfortable with the Easter story and what it really means and what that empty tomb really means, what the cross really means. I'm not talking about the secularized version of Easter that we all know about. I'm not going to preach this morning against the Easter bunny, although Cadbury eggs should be outlawed. That's all I'm going to say. How many agree? How many disagree? Are you kidding me right now? They're so gross. Anyway. <laughs> somebody talked about the peeps. They're even worse. It's like a ball of sugar. Anyway. <laughs> I'm not preaching about that. I'm not going to preach against that or the tradition of the family coming together. My mom and dad are here and are down from Tennessee. We're going to get together later. And I'm looking forward to that honey-baked ham. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. You're like, thanks a lot for bringing that up. Now I'm hungry. It's all right. What I am talking about is this. The vast majority of American or Western Christians would describe their faith this way. Look at the screen. Jesus died on the cross. He rose from the dead. I believe that message have been forgiven and my eternity is secure. And that's it. That's the sum total of our relationship with Christ. That's the sum total of our Christianity. You know, I'll go to church when I can. I'll serve when I can. I'll give when I have to give. And, and, and it's great. It's wonderful. Now, is there anything inherently wrong with that statement? Now, we, some of us might argue that word right there, and that's okay. That's not what I'm preaching about today. But is there anything inherently wrong with this? No, there's nothing. It's not a trick question. There's, there's not really anything. It's not what it says. It's what it doesn't say. See, the problem in that statement is it only gives us half of the gospel message. Because the death and resurrection of Christ is about more than making it to heaven. It's about more than fire insurance. The Christian life is about more than the afterlife. What Jesus accomplished for us on the cross and the power of his resurrection is also about the life and the freedom and the blessing and the favor of God right now, right now. Now listen to me. Jesus is not just an addition to my life. He's not just something that I add on to everything else to make my life better. No, Jesus, the resurrected lamb of glory, he is 
my life. In him I live and move and have my very being. So I'm not going to preach long today. I know that's devastating to a lot of you, but uh, what? But with the time that you've given me, and it's precious and I thank you, I want to talk about what it means to be born again. Say that with me, born again. Now, if you've been anywhere near a church in the Southeast, you've heard that phrase before, but to make sure we understand it and use it properly, we're going to study a conversation where Jesus introduces it himself, this idea of regeneration, this idea of rebirth or to be born again. We're going to look at a real-life story. This is not a parable. You know, Jesus would make up stories to teach something. This is not a parable. This really happened. It was a conversation that he had late at night with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. I almost called the sermon Nick at Night. (laughs) Creative, right? But I didn't. Anyway, I had to share that, though, because I was proud of myself for that. Nick at Night. We're going to read some of the story. I'm going to teach as we go, which is my normal style. And then we're going to watch the conversation as portrayed by some actors in The Chosen. It's one of the most powerful scenes in the whole series. And I pray that between the two, this will really come home to us. So if you have your Bibles, turn to chapter, uh, John chapter 3. John chapter 3, it's going to be on the screen in the New International Version, beginning with verse 1. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Now, in our context, that would almost be like they served uh, in Congress. It was a big deal to be on this council. They were the ruling council of all the Jewish people. Of course, it was under the thumb of Rome, right? But they were, it was a big deal. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs or the miracles you are doing if God were not with him. So a few things about this guy named Nicodemus. Number one, he was a Pharisee, as we've already talked about. That means his whole life was dedicated to understanding and studying the law, the Old Testament, and trying to do his best to work his way into a right relationship with God. He knew the law, and not just the Ten Commandments. You understand it was 613 rules and regulations that they had added on. He knew every one of them. He did his best to live them out. This dude was a scholar. It was like he was a lawyer and a Ph.D. in theology all wrapped up into one. It was a big deal. But he called Jesus rabbi, which is a term of respect that means what? Teacher. Now, this was very unusual because most of his comrades, most of his his people hated Jesus. They were the ones eventually responsible for turning him over to Rome. They were threatened by Jesus. They were jealous of Jesus. But here's this Pharisee meeting with Jesus out of respect. Number two, he met with Jesus at night. Why did he do that? He wanted to keep his position. (laughs) He didn't want to lose his position on the Sanhedrin. And so he didn't want anybody to know about this meeting. Third, he was intrigued with Jesus. He was intrigued. He was curious about his power. He was curious about his mission. He even acknowledged that Jesus was from God and that God was with him. So this meeting took place because Nicodemus just knew 
that there was something different, something special about this man named Jesus. Now, maybe that's you this morning. Listen to me. Maybe you've not bought into the Bible. Maybe you've not committed to Jesus, but you know there's something about him. You know, because even secular scholars and historians acknowledge that Jesus did, in fact, live. That he, he was a man who, who changed culture. I mean, you don't have all these accounts about one man if he's not a big deal. 2,000 years later, the whole world is different. Come on. You know there's something different about Jesus. And can I tell you, you're in a good spot this morning. Stay curious. Keep seeking. Keep knocking, and the door will be opened to you, just like Nicodemus. Verse 3, Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom, let alone enter it, see the kingdom, unless they are what? Born again. There's our word. There's our phrase. Can we just acknowledge the clarity of that? That's not ambiguous at all. Jesus is like, unless you are born again, you can't even see the kingdom. So do you think it might be important that we understand what it means to be born again? Well, clearly Nicodemus was confused because he says in verse 4, how can someone be born when they're old? Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb. I would be like, oh my, if that was Jesus, you know, I'd be like, Gross. Dude, that's awkward. What do you, what do you, no, no. Well, I'm not Jesus, thankfully. And so he says, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter. Oh, we changed from see to enter the kingdom unless they are born of, a little more information, water and the spirit, capital S. What is he teaching about? He's teaching about what it means to be born again. No one can be born again unless they're born of water and the spirit. Now, the next verse is life-changing. It may not seem like it at first, but it is. Verse 6, flesh gives birth to flesh. Now, time out. We may be thinking, okay, that's physical birth. Okay, it is, but it's more than that. Flesh gives birth to flesh means that anything I do in my own strength, anything I produce with my ability and my mind and my talent is born of the flesh and it will eventually die. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit, capital S, we know what that means, right? The Holy Spirit, Spirit gives birth to lowercase spirit. So we need to understand, to understand this, we need to know how we are created. We are created, church, in the image of Almighty God. And we are made in three parts, body, soul, and spirit. Number one, our body is referred to in Scripture as what? Flesh. When you see that, that's talking about the body. This right here, this right here, our flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. Our flesh will not be redeemed. You understand? It's like a tent, just temporary. Our flesh also represents our sinful nature, that thing that just keeps drawing us to sin, drawing us to do things that we know are contrary to the word 
of God. It's that, it's that age-old battle that, that, that Paul talks about in Romans 7, where he's like, the things that I know I, I need to do and that I want to do that God's calling me to do, that's what I want to do, but I end up not doing that. I end up doing the things I don't want to do. Does that describe anybody in the house today? Are y'all all holy? That's the battle. The flesh. That does not inherit eternal life. Number two, our soul. Our soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions. It's our personality. It's who we are. Listen to me carefully. Our soul is what separates us from the rest of the animal kingdom. I am not the same as a chimpanzee. You are not the same as a dogwood tree. That's why it's more important that we save the life of an unborn baby than save the whale. Don't tweet that Pastor Allen doesn't like whales. That's not at all what I was saying. The human is inherently more valuable than other animals because we have a soul that God has given us. And our soul is eternal. It will continue on somewhere. Third, our spirit. Our spirit. Now see, our spirit is dead without Christ. All the way back into the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, when they disobeyed God, right? They sinned. God said, Adam, you will surely die. Well, did he keel over right there? He did not physically die. He actually lived for like several hundred years. They lived a long time. He did not physically die. God was talking about spiritual death. And then he, they passed that along, that spiritual death to every human after that when sin entered the world until Jesus Christ hung between heaven and earth and until he rose again. And it's through Christ and his life that my spirit can be resurrected to new life. Body, soul, and spirit. And of course, our spirit is eternal. So Jesus explains that to be born again is to be born of water, which represents the cleansing of our soul and then to be born of the spirit, which represents the resurrection of our spirit to new life. So Jesus explains this. Does that make sense? There's a, listen, there's a cleansing side. There's two parts. There's a cleansing of our soul and there's the resurrection of our spirit. In other words, we don't enter the kingdom of God by living a better life in our flesh, but by being spiritually reborn. Is everybody on the same page? So we, now we skip down a few verses. We find the most famous, most memorized verse in all the Bible. I mean, you can go just about anywhere in the world and, and they will understand or have heard John, what? 316. Here's what I want you to remember, though. That famous scripture was given in the context of this late night conversation with Nicodemus talking about how to be born again. So let's read it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal Life And then 17, we, we, we never forget it. It's just as important. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, 
but to save it through him, not through our human flesh efforts, come on, through Christ. See, the gospel message comes into, comes into complete focus with these hope-filled, wonderful words. Folks, God's love is not static. God's love is not, it's not fickle. It doesn't go up and down. God's love is not self-centered. Come on, we know that. We, you know true love, agape love, is willing to, to, to sacrifice, and that's what Jesus did. Jesus, you can understand the power of this. Jesus was willing to take all of the punishment, all of the judgment, the wrath of God because of sin, all on himself. He was willing to pay a debt that we could never pay. Think about it in banking terms, right? He was willing to pay a debt that we could never pay, and it brought us back up to ground zero. And he offers us then new life through the resurrection. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, say mercy. In his great mercy, he has given us, here's our phrase, new birth into what? A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Are you getting the, here we got the two parts again. In his great mercy, what's he talking about? The cross. The cross, the death of Jesus Christ is the mercy. The death of Jesus is how we are atoned for our sin. It's how we are redeemed. It's how, listen, we are reconciled in our relationship with Christ. His death paid that sin debt we could not pay. But the grace of God comes at the resurrection. Because of God's grace, our spirit is resurrected and given new life. And folks, that grace, again, is not for the by and by. That grace is not just for heaven. That grace is is not just so we can make it to heaven. That grace is to live in hope and freedom and victory and favor and blessing right now. Come on, give him praise. God's grace is a living hope. Everybody look at me. It's a living hope. That means we can experience it and walk in it daily. That means it can get deeper and more wonderful and stronger every single day. Isn't that wonderful? That's the grace of God, and it's for right now, and it's all wrapped up in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we've taught about it. Now I want you to watch this conversation. Go ahead. Don't know where to start. I have so many questions. Shall we sit first? Oh, yes. Of course. The Eastern Slums. Hmm. Many wandering preachers have succeeded in gathering crowds with their rhetoric and fiery tone. I've heard a few of them over the years myself. So you know the type. Mm -hmm. But I have never heard anyone tell a paralytic to get up and walk, much less it actually happened. So what is your conclusion? I believe you are not acting 
alone. No one can do these signs you do without having God in him. Only someone who has come from God. And how is that belief going over in the synagogue? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why we are here at this hour. What else? What have you come here to show us? A kingdom. That is what our rulers are worried about. No, not that kind. Then what? A sort of kingdom that a person cannot see unless he is born again. Born again? Yes. You mean like a new creature? A conversion from Gentile to Jewish? No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Then what is born again? I hope you don't mean return to the womb, because that would be a problem for me. My mother, may she rest in peace, is dead. Truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That part of you, that, is what must be reborn to new life. How can these things be? Ah, a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things, huh? I'm trying, Rabbi. I know. I know. Do you hear this? What? Listen. What do you hear? The wind. How do you know it's the wind? Because I can feel it. I hear its sound. Do you know where it comes from? No. Do you know where it's going? No. That's what it is to be born again of the Spirit. The Spirit may work in a way that is a mystery to you. And while you cannot see the Spirit, you can recognize His effect. Mind is consumed with thoughts of what a stir these words would cause among the teachers of the law. Yes, and I do not expect otherwise. I speak of what I know and have seen, and it has not been received by the religious leaders. It is hard to receive. So if I have told you of earthly things, and you do not believe, how can I tell you heavenly things? I believe your words. I just fear you may not have a chance to speak many more of them before you are silenced. I have come to do more than speak words, Nicodemus. More miracles? Yes. But even more than that. Do you remember when the children of Israel complained against God and against Moses in the wilderness of Paran? Yes. They wanted to return to Egypt and they cursed the manna that God sent them. And then? They were bitten by serpents. And they were dying. But? But God made a way for them to be healed. Moses lifted the bronze serpent in the desert. And people only needed to look at it. So will the Son of Man be lifted up. So that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Our people are not dying from snake bites. They're dying from taxation and oppression. I'm sorry to disappoint you. 
But I did not come to deliver the people from Rome. And from what? From sin. From spiritual death. God loves the world in this way. That he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So this has nothing to do with Rome. It's all about sin. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, Nicodemus. He sent him to save it through him. It's as simple as Moses' serpent on the pole. Whoever believes in him will not be condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Have you ever heard anything like this before? When I met Lilith, Mary, that day, I told my wife and my students I said she was beyond human aid. Only God could have healed her. And then I saw her healed. Healer. I, my whole life, I have wondered if I would see this day. Follow me, and you'll see more. Are you? Join me and my students. In two days' time, we leave Capernaum. Come see the kingdom I am bringing into this world. But I... I, I you have a position in the Sanhedrin. You have family. You are getting advanced in years. <laughs> I understand. But the invitation is still open. The invitation to what exactly? <laughs> to lead a nomadic life, to... Give up who I am. It's true. There is a lot you would give up. But what you would gain is far greater and more lasting. Is this another one of your born-again mysteries? <laughs> Maybe. I know mysteries aren't easy for a scholar. Think about it. Hmm? Take your time. On the morning of the fifth day, we leave and we'll meet by the well in the southern quarter. I am standing on holy ground. My heart is swollen with fear and wonder. Nicodemus would eventually come out of the shadows. He would be one of two only from the Sanhedrin that would ask Pilate for the body of Jesus and boldly 
do what nobody else would do and give him a proper burial. Nicodemus and almost every Israelite alive at the time, including the disciples, by the way, they were looking for a Messiah that would rescue them from Rome. They were looking for a Messiah that would make their life more comfortable, that would free them from oppression and taxation. But Jesus didn't come to bring freedom from Rome. Jesus didn't come to be a political hero. He came to bring freedom from sin. Jesus didn't come to set up an earthly kingdom. He came to set up a spiritual kingdom that began in the hearts of his earliest followers and continues to this day through you and me. One day though, come on. One day, his kingdom will be fully realized and established when he comes again. Yeah, go ahead. I'm almost finished, but I love the scene where Jesus says to Nicodemus, you're a teacher of Israel. And yet you don't understand. You're studying these scriptures, but you're not seeing what it's pointing to. And Nicodemus is like, I'm trying. Did you remember that? I'm trying, Jesus. I'm trying, Rabbi. This was a complete paradigm shift for this, for this scholar. He said, I'm trying. Can I just be vulnerable on Easter morning and tell you I feel like Nicodemus a lot? And I'm your senior pastor. I'm the one who's supposed to be the expert in the scriptures and come up here all confident and, and present the word of God. Can I tell you that there are weeks where I'm in the, in the word and I'm looking at what's happening in the world and I'm clueless. I'm like, what in the, what's happening right now? What does this mean, Lord? But can I tell you about it? Can I tell you about something that I've known a long time? but it's, it's, it's now become revelation to me. Knowledge is good, right? But knowledge doesn't save anything. I've come to realize as I've walked with Christ that my position as your pastor, I'm not here because I'm qualified. I'm here because I'm called. And my calling, listen, I'm not done. My calling has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with my ability, my talent, my education. I'm standing on this stage only because of the immeasurable grace of God that's on my life. And I've come to realize recently how deep and wide and wonderful that is. And can I tell you that's not just for pastors? That's not just for super duper hero Christians. God desires that kind of relationship for all of his children. That's the invitation that Jesus was offering Nicodemus that night. And that's the invitation that is on the table right now, this morning. It's an invitation. Listen to me, folks. I'm almost done. It's an invitation not into a religion. 
but into a beautiful relationship that can be strengthened every single day. It can become sweeter and more wonderful and helpful and glorious and powerful every single day. A relationship. A relationship. And there's no limit to the depth that that can go. That is what it means to be born again. Mercy at the cross. Grace at the empty tomb. Reconciliation, redemption, atonement at the cross. New life and power to live at the empty tomb. Now, the moment of salvation is instantaneous. As soon as you receive this gift, you can't be any more saved. As soon as you confess your sin and receive Christ, you can't be any more saved than that. But the working of his spirit in you and through you, as you bow the knee, as you yield your life and your flesh every single day in that relationship, well, that's a work that will take place the rest of your life. But there's grace for that. There's freedom in that. There's blessing in that. What I'm trying to get across to you, I pray the Holy Spirit is helping me, is that the Christian life is not about living for Jesus. It's about allowing his resurrected life to live through me. I can't live for Jesus because that would be a work of my flesh and it would fail. Flesh gives birth to flesh. I'm not able to keep the law. I'm not able to do that. And if I tried, it would be, it would be, it would be futile. And I would, I would just constantly be walking in shame and judgment. Am I speaking to anybody today? But because of the risen Savior, he gives me the opportunity to bow my knee to all of that and allow his living spirit to live through me each and every day. That's what it means to be born again. That's what it means to be born again. Bow your heads. If you were challenged and are encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever else you find us. To experience other messages, videos, and live events, visit us online at newlifecanton.com. And again, thank you for listening to the New Life Church Podcast.